All right. Well, welcome everyone tonight. We are going to continue on our series of teachings on the mind-brain connections. And what I want to do tonight is uh, go back over a little bit of what I ministered on Sunday at our mini-conference this past weekend. And then I want to get into the forehead in the book of Revelation. And I'm just going to call this What's Up with the Forehead. But what I want to do is just kind of back up and just reiterate a little bit of what we did on Sunday, as I said. And I want to share with you that everything that you find in the scriptures that was measured in cubits, when you do the math and tally it out, a cubit is 18 inches. Like, for example, if something was nine cubits, you would multiply nine times 18. And everything in the Old Testament, every piece of the tabernacle of the furniture, even some things in the New Testament that were measured by cubits, when you do the math, you'll find out that the numerical value of consciousness, which is the number nine, will come out with everything that was me uh, measured in cubits. And so let me just kind of run through these a little bit. And my point in doing this and showing this is simply... When Jesus taught the parable of the sower, what he said there is, if we will take the seed and if we will sow it into our individual consciousness or our individual awareness, if we'll take the, the sperma, the seed, the word of God from the right side and sow those Christ thoughts into the left side or our individual consciousness, our individual awareness, then we will birth the nature of Christ. We will... You know, and as in the natural, you will not have a harvest if you do not sow a seed. And so in that parable of the sower sowing the seed, he was saying that the seed must be sown into the ground, and he likened the ground to the heart or the awareness, or you could say the individual consciousness. And so when we go into the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament things that we'll look at, and we see things that are measured in cubits. When you do the math, you'll find out that the numerical value of consciousness, which is the number nine, is what you'll see in all of those, uh, all of those illustrations. Now, for example, in Revelation chapter 21, it talks there about the city. And, of course, we know we're the city. Consciousness is also the city. But it says there that the city in Revelation 21 and verse 16 is four square. Now, what does that mean that it's four square? It just simply means that every aspect of our being is balanced out. In other words, what good would it be for us to have a great physique and physically we're all in fit, but yet we're as carnal as a bed bug? What good would it be if we were very spiritual, but on the other hand, we had a lot of, you know, mental or social or physical problems in our life? The city, us, would not be experiencing the realm of being four square. We are objectively whole. We're objectively one. But the point is for us to sow the seed so that we can subjectively experience and walk in that which has always been true about us. For example, when you see in Revelation 21 and verse 16 where it talks about this city four square, it says that it is 12 furlongs and, and uh, it is uh, a furlong is an eighth of a, a mile. A mile is 5,280 feet. But it says that a, it, was, it was 12 furlongs and a furlong is one eighth of a mile. So you take one eighth of 5,280, that equals 660. You take 12,000 times 660, you get 132,000. Then you take 660 plus 132 and you get 792. Now, to get the numerical value of consciousness, then you take that 792 and you add 7 plus 9 plus 2, and it brings you to 18. And then you take 8 plus 1, which equals 9. And what do you get? You get the numerical value of the word consciousness. And everything that we see measured in the Old Testament that is measured in cubits, when you take the cubits, which is 18 inches, one cubit is 18 inches, and you multiply it by whatever the dimensions are, whether it's the ark or the altar in Solomon's temple or Solomon's temple itself or whether it is the, uh, the ceiling 
or the window in the ceiling of the ark. It says that you had to look up to see outside in the ark of Noah. And it says that that window was 18 inches or was a cubit. So 1 plus 8 equals 9. So what is that telling us? That's telling us that in the ark of Noah, you had to have the consciousness of looking up rather than the consciousness of of looking out on the sides and so forth. And there was only one window, and it was up in the ceiling, and it was one cubit, which is 18 inches, and 1 plus 8 equals 9. So we see that all the way through. Uh, when anything is measured by cubits, you're gonna, it always is going to come up to 9. We also saw in Revelation 21 and verse 17 where it talks there about 144,000. Now, a lot of people have taught that as 144,000 Jews. Some have taught it as 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. But it's talking about a people, 144,000, that sang a new song. And they had the Father's name in their forehead. Well, you take 1 plus 4 plus 4, and what do you get? Well, you get 9. So again, it's talking about a people that were singing a new song because they had the Father's name in their forehead or in their consciousness. And we've talked a lot here about in John chapter 21 and verse 11 when the disciples had fished all night and they had caught no fish and Jesus comes to them and he says, you've got to cast your net to the right side. And when they cast their net to the right side, they caught 150 four or 153 fish. You add one plus five plus three. What do you get? You get nine. So he wasn't talking about fish. He wasn't talking about a ship. He wasn't talking about anything, but having the consciousness of, and the fish represents the wisdom of God, the thoughts of God, and the knowledge of God. And so again, we see this all the way through the scripture. And we looked in Deuteronomy. We looked in 1 Kings chapter 6 with Solomon's temple. We looked in Chronicles. We looked in Ezekiel chapter 40. And every place that we saw the dimensions that were measured where cubits were concerned, when you tally that up and measure the cubits time, whatever cubits it is, you'll find it'll come to the number nine, which is consciousness. Now, I did all that, and you'll have to go back and listen to that message if you're interested in hearing that, because we'd be here till 12 o'clock tonight if I taught all of that. Yeah. But if you go back and listen to that, you can see... But the point that I was making was how important consciousness is. How important individual awareness and individual consciousness is. In other words, there's no way we're going to have a harvest. There's no birthing of the nature of Christ unless a seed, the truth, is sown into our individual awareness. So what we're going to talk about tonight, if you want to go to Revelation chapter 22... We're going to begin in this tonight, and we're going to talk about the forehead. And I'm entitling the message, What's Up with the Forehead? Now, as you're turning there, let me just share this. If you wonder, let me turn this chart around. If you wonder where I have gotten the idea for putting Dan on the north and Reuben on the south, and Ephraim on the west and Judah on the east, if you study the scriptures or you read the scriptures in Numbers chapter 2, You'll find that they set up the tribes, and in verse 25 of Numbers chapter 2, it says Dan is on the north. And I'm going to teach uh, in the near future why I put Dan with emotions. I can't get into that tonight, but I will share that with you. But then in Numbers chapter 2, in verse 18, it says Ephraim was on the west. And then it says that Reuben was on the south. And, of course, we know that Dan represents the emotions. Ephraim represents the intellect, just moving out of motion, emotions and intellect and the physical in and of themselves, rather than having spirit being filtered through the emotions and the intellect and the physical and so forth. So that's where I got the idea of putting Dan on the north, Reuben on the south, Ephraim on the west, and Judah on the east. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Now, another thing in Numbers chapter 2, and I found this very interesting. If you read in verse 9, it gives us the number of people that were in the tribe of Judah. And I want to just read that to you, and then we'll do a little bit of math with that as well. But in Numbers 2 and verse 9, it says, All that were numbered in the camp of Judah were an hundred thousand and fourscore thousand and six thousand and four hundred throughout their armies. These shall first set forth. Now, 
First of all, notice there, it talks about in the camp of Judah, there were 100,000. So you take 100,000. Then it says there were four score thousand. Now four score is 20. So four times 20 is 80,000. So you've got 100,000. Then you have 80,000. And next is 6,000. And then last is 400. And it tallies up to be 186,400, which is the constant speed of light. Now, isn't that interesting that we see that? Now, I know if you Google the speed of light, it's going to give you some other numbers. Uh, one place it gives you uh, 186, 280 something, but the constant speed of light is 186,400, and that's how many people were in the tribe of Judah here. Judah is the tribe of light. How many know we are called light beings? We're the light of the earth, we're the salt. Uh, of the world and so forth. Jesus is called light. Light is synonymous with understanding. It's synonymous with wisdom and so forth. So I thought that those were some interesting things for us to just to see concerning Judah because Judah is who we are a part of. Judah is the people that are circumcised in heart and mind. Judah are the people that follow after what Jesus told us to do. In other words, Judah represents, see, because when you look north, where is the east but on the right side? Anytime you look north, the east, the dawning of the new day, or light, or the tribe of Judah is on the right side. And Jesus told us that we are to cast our net to the right side. How do we do that? Well, by exercising the single eye, through meditation, through taking no thought from the left side, then it can be said of us that we are this tribe of Judah and we are experiencing this light and this understanding that comes from the right side. So in saying all of that, what that means is as we sow the seed that Jesus talked about, in fact, you know, when Jesus talked about the sowing of the seed in Mark 4 and Matthew chapter 13, he talked about four different types of ground. And I don't know if I wrote those on here or not, but uh, I did not write them on the chart in the back, but we can look at the four different types of ground and each of the types of ground can either depict the north, the south, the west, or the east. The good ground that the seed was sown into would be what? It'd be Judah. It'd be the east. It'd be the right side. It would be what the right hemisphere represents to us. So with all of that in mind, let's go to Revelation chapter 22 as we begin to talk here now about the mind a little bit, or about the forehead, if you will. And in Revelation 22 and verse 4, notice what it says. And they, now who's this talking about? The, who's the they here in Revelation 22, 4? And they, those who live from the right side, okay, shall see. And see is what? What does seeing denote? If we really see today... We are not seeing from the two physical eyes on our head. Right. If we are seeing, we are truly seeing with a single eye. So this is what it's talking about in Revelation 22, 4. And they, those that live from the right side, shall see, in reference to the single eye, his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now, you know, we've kind of abused the name of Jesus over the years. How many know, and I, I remember the teaching very well as it was yesterday, how that we had to, we were told that we had to end our prayers with the little magical formula, in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Got to pray in Jesus' name. And if you don't pray in Jesus' name, that prayer may not be answered. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm happy to report to you every prayer's already been answered. See, but that's what we were taught. You got to pray. And if you didn't put that on, I remember a day I felt uncomfortable if I didn't say at the end of my prayer, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, as though it was a magical wand, right. as though it was some magical formula. Now, I do know that name means nature and character, and we were taught that when we're praying in the name of Jesus, we're praying in his nature and his character. And I get all that, and I agree with all of that. But to the ancient people, name meant more than character and nature. Name meant way, W-A-Y. So what it's telling us there, where it says his name shall be in their foreheads, our consciousness or our individual awareness must be focused upon the way. See, so many people today believe that we're to worship Jesus, the man of Galilee, 
We're not to worship him. Now we worship the risen Christ. We, we worship the Father, yes. But he never wanted Jesus in and of himself as son of man, the man of Galilee. Never wanted us to worship him. What he wanted us to do was follow his way. And what was his way? His way was take no thought from the left side, from the five sense room. His way was exercise the single eye. His way was involve yourselves in spontaneous meditation and in purposeful meditation, just like Jesus did. So, in other words, it's talking about a people who live from the right side that shall see his face. Why are they going to see his face? Why are they going to experience the presence of the Lord as themselves? Because, as it says there, his name shall be in their forehead. In other words, they have the consciousness of practicing or exercising the single eye. They have the consciousness of taking no thought from the left side. They walk in that. See, where focus goes, where focus is and where focus goes, energy flows. And so, therefore, when our focus is doing what he said, now I'm not talking about works in the energy of the flesh because there's nothing we could do to become any more, you know, than who we already are. But what we can do is sow into our individual awareness, our individual consciousness, what Jesus told us to do, to experience the allness and the being that we have always been. So now notice it goes on in verse 4, Revelation 22. They shall see his face and his name or his way shall be in their foreheads. So again, his way is what? Exercising the single eye. His way is meditation. His way is taking no thought. His way, when there's an apparent need that we have in Matthew 6.33, what was the way? If you have an apparent need, let's say it's in the physical realm or a financial realm, what is his way where that is concerned? Not asking him for money or asking him to heal us, no, but realizing we already are and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of those things you have an apparent need of will be added or I like to say will be unfolded from the invisible realm to the visible realm. Now, if you'll hang on to Revelation and quickly look at Matthew 6, 22, and I've quoted this so much, I know you know it by heart already, but in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, there's something that I want to point out here that really just kind of popped up uh, within me just today as I was meditating on these things. But in Matthew 6, 22, and this is Jesus, and look what he says here in verse 22 of Matthew 6. He says, the light of the body is the, what's the next word? Eye. Notice it doesn't say eyes, pearl, the eyes on the top of your head or in your head. It says there, the light of the body is the eye, singular. What does that tell us? And then it goes on to say, if therefore thine eye, not eyes, if thine eye therefore be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So you see, as we just saw a few minutes ago from the tribe of Judah, the numbering of all of the people that were in that particular tribe came out to be light, that which designates light. 186,400 miles per second is the speed of light, and that's how many were in that tribe of Judah. So what is this associating us with? What is this connecting us with in Matthew 6 and verse 22? The light of the body is the eye. If the eye be single, the whole body will be full of light. What is that connecting it's connecting the pineal gland. It's Now, let me say it this way. It is connecting that single eye that is in the forehead. Notice it didn't say on the forehead back in Revelation 22. His name was written where? In, not on, not some Hebrew inscription on the outside like we used to believe, but in their forehead. So, so the third eye, as some people call it, is what? The, the third eye that he's talking about back here in Matthew 6, 22, the light of the body is the eye. If thy eye be single, that's talking about the pineal gland. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the third eye that doctors couldn't find if they split your brain open. You know, there's a lot of things within us. If they cut us open, did an autopsy or whatever, uh, from head to toe, and they couldn't see our thoughts. They couldn't see uh, the light that flows through it. They couldn't see any of that, you see. It's in the invisible realm, but nonetheless, it's there. 
Now, hang on to Revelation 22 and go to Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 30. And I want us to look at Jacob's experience. And I know you're familiar with this, but I want to look at Jacob's experience where he saw the father face to face. And it even says that he called the place, he named the place Peniel or Pineal there in Genesis 32 and verse 30. Look what it says here. Now, Revelation 22, 4 said that they, those who think from the right side or draw from the right side, those who fill their consciousness with the seed of the word of the Christ mind, they shall see his face and his name or his way of doing things shall be where? In their forehead. Okay? But now look here in Genesis 32, 30 at what Jacob experiences. Jacob is wrestling with himself. Some say he's wrestling with God. Some say he's wrestling with a message. I think he's wrestling with himself concerning the message. But it says there in verse 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. And look what it says in the last part of that. And my life is preserved. So the fact that he saw God face to face, the fact that he saw him, the fact that he experienced him was because he had come to a place of rest, no longer wrestling, but a place of rest. And he had an experience with the Father where he saw him face to face. You know, in uh, the New Testament, it talks there about no longer seeing through glass darkly, but seeing face to face. It's face into face. What is that? He saw his identity. Jacob saw here in Genesis 32 who he had always been from before time ever began, you see. And he named the place Peniel, and that's connected with Pineal. And it's when we begin to exercise the single eye, as it says in Matthew 6, 33, that we begin then to no longer judge things by appearances, what it looks like, feels like, and so forth. But we begin to judge righteously. We begin to see with a single eye. That is when we begin to see him face to face. In other words, we really begin to see what is true of us and what has always been true of us. He's always been our health as us. He's always been our wealth as us. He's always been all in all as us. We came here that way. So what is it? It's us drawing out of that right side that single eye which connects us with the pineal gland or the third eye. I know some people don't like to, you know, hear about the third eye, but to see with the single eye is incorporating the pineal gland into this equation here. Now let's take it a little bit further. Go back to Revelation 22 and verse 4. And back here in Revelation 22, 4 again, it says, They shall see his face, I could say, or they shall see they who think from the right side, who cast their net to the right side, shall see his face, or they shall see face to face as Jacob did, or they shall no longer see through a glass darkly, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, but they see him face to face. And when is that? When his name, when his way is in our forehead. Not on it, but in it. Meaning what? We realize if we're going to experience who we have always been, if we're going to experience the health that our Father is as us, the wealth that our Father is as us, the allness that our Father is as us, then we're going to have to incorporate the way we must have His name in our forehead. We must have the consciousness of doing things the way Jesus told us to do them. And what did He tell us to do? Well, we just talked about all of that. Exercise the single eye. Turn within. Live from the inside out. Take no thought. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that are in you and true of you in the invisible realm will be manifested visibly in the outer realm. So Revelation 22 and verse 4 is talking about a people that experience this. They don't just know it's true of them objectively, but subjectively they're beginning to walk in all that has always been true of them simply by what? By sowing the seed. See, this is... The consciousness of God. The mind of Christ is God consciousness. But you see, we have individual consciousness, 
that the consciousness of God must be sown into. Those seeds must be sown, in, sown into the individual consciousness in order for us to see him face to face. Now, let me give you a few examples tonight. If you go back to 2 Chronicles 26, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 19. And as you're turning there, let me say this. There are two aspects. There are two aspects to the forehead. Meaning what? Two aspects to our consciousness. See, God gave us the left side. Nothing wrong with the left side. But the problem is what we do many times since the left side incorporates the mind or incorporates our earth and our five senses are attached to our body and flow to our brain. Nothing wrong with the left side. But when we think from the five sense realm, when we judge things by appearances or how it feels and so forth, what are we doing we are simply, as we judge from the left side, even though there's nothing wrong with the left side, we, the problem with the left side is the thoughts that we allow into it. That's the way I want to say that. No problem with the left side. God gave us the left side. The virgin consciousness is on the left side. We need reasoning ability. We need in intelligence. We need the intellect. We need the five senses. But the problem is when we allow the left side to operate in and of itself, like maybe the emotions operating in and of themselves or the intellect in and of itself or, or anything from the left side that we allow to operate and have its way in and of itself without it being submitted to spirit is going to get us in trouble. We're going to have some problems. So when we talk about the forehead, my point is this. The forehead can have written in it, our consciousness can have written in it, either the lower thoughts or the higher thoughts. See? So you can have a forehead or a consciousness that thinks all kind of squirrely things. Or you can have a consciousness and a forehead that thinks only from the right side or only thinks from the Christ mind and exercises the single eye. It's that simple. Now, here we see an example of that in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 19. And this is talking about a person whose life was wasting away. And there's a reason why... The life was wasting away. Remember when we read back in Genesis 32 that Jacob saw God face to face. He was no longer wrestling. He saw God face to face. He named the place Pineal, which points to the Pineal. He named it Peniel, which points to the Pineal. And the last part of that verse says his life was preserved. Now this guy here in 2 Chronicles 26, his life was not preserved. He had some wasting away of his life simply because he did not have the consciousness from the right side. He didn't plant the seed from the right side into the left side. Now look what it says there. It says, Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up, notice, in his forehead, before the priest and the house of the Lord from beside the incense Altar. So what is this referring to? This is referring to a guy that got angry, didn't control his anger. And of course, we know leprosy is a type of sin. And of course, sin is not behavior. Sin is mistaken identity. So something rose up in this guy because he was judging from the five cents realm. He was judging from the left side. And his life began to waste away because he did not put in his forehead. See, it says leprosy rose up in his forehead a mistaken identity, a judging by the five physical senses of the left side was what was in his consciousness, and it ended up, ended up killing the guy. His life began to waste away. Now, let me have you uh, look, if you will, in 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 49, and this, of course, is talking about David and Goliath, and, of course, we know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, David had gone down to the brook, to pick up five smooth stones, and I believe that the five smooth stones represent the five physical senses, but then he took one and he lifted it up, and I believe the one that he lifted up was sight. In other words, he exercised the single eye, and because he exercised the single eye and he lifted up just one of the stones, which is very important, the stone of sight, it doesn't say that in scripture, but I'm saying that he, he more than likely lifted up the one of sight, and so it took care of all the other senses. All of the other senses came in line. Why? Because he lifted up the one smooth stone representing sight that he'd gotten out of the brook, and he hurled it toward Goliath. 
And it says there that it sunk in Goliath's forehead. Let me read that there in verse 49. 1 Samuel 17, 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it or threw it and smote the Philistine in his, not just on, but in his forehead that the stone sunk into the forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So what is this telling us? It's simply telling us, see, the stone is connected with the pineal gland. I've said it in this series a number of times, how that when our pineal gland has uh, atrophy, in other words, we're not using it, it, it can get like, you know, Kenny Grace has, you know, that broken wrist. Now, once they take that cast off, she's going to have a little atrophy. She's going to have to exercise that wrist because some atrophy is going to set in because of, her inability of being able to use it because of the cast. Well, that's the way most people's pineal glands are today. They're, they have apathy. Why? They have not been exercised. They have not been used because the church is not, you know, they're afraid of this stuff. The church is not, the religious church has not told us anything about the pineal gland. That's considered new age and cultish and all this and that. But you see, the pineal gland is of a grainy consistency. And once we begin to use the single eye and exercise the single eye, which is the pineal gland, then what's going to happen is that pineal gland begins to get hardened. And it's like the parable that Jesus gave. He said, when the storm comes, if you have built your house or your consciousness upon the sand or the sandy consistency, it's going to fall when the storm comes. But if you have built your house upon the rock, the stone or the rock, when the storm comes, it's going to cause you to overcome. And so this is why this pineal gland is something that even though people don't want to deal with it, it's connected with the stone. And it's the stone, I will go so far to say, the stone that the builders rejected. You know, now people rejected Christ, yes. But they also reject this message of the single eye because they think it's all, you know, uh, Hinduism, it's all New Age. But listen, if we find it in the scriptures... It's not there just to take up space. There's a reason why Jesus said exercise the single eye. There's a reason he said if your eye, your eye, your eye, not these two eyes, if your eye, the pineal gland, if your single eye, if your eye be single, it's going to do something in your physical body. And, of course, we've been talking about that a lot. The, the energy, there's a part of our brain that manufactures energy that is brought down to the solar plexus and as we exercise the single eye, that energy begins to go up the energy field. Some people call it the chakras, up to the seventh. And as it gets to the seventh energy field, it throws open the right side even more. And the pineal and the pituitary work in sync together. One is an oil that's a goldish color. Another is an oil that is a whitish color. And you are then experiencing the land that flows with milk and honey. See, we've read that as history. We've kept, you know, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and going through 40 years in the wilderness and then finally, you know, uh, crossing, you know, the, uh, the Jordan and then coming into the promised land and experiencing the land flowing with milk and honey. We've made that all just a nice little neat history story when it's something that is happening within us today. It's happening within us today. If we can what? If we'll do what Jesus said. If we'll practice the single eye, exercise the single eye, if we'll take no thought from the left side, if we'll involve ourselves in spontaneous and purposeful meditation, because it's the meditation, especially the purposeful meditation, that causes us to really begin to subjectively experience who we have always been. Now, let me give you another one back in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3. So the pineal is closely connected with the stone. It becomes hardened when it is used. It becomes like, like, a, like a stone or like a rock that Jesus talked about. But in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3, here it talks about showers of blessing, and it begins to show us that we will not experience the showers of blessing. Now, what are showers? Well, they're blessing. Rain can be uh, constituted in the scriptures as teaching. We receive the teaching. We receive the showers of blessing. But here in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3, it says some very important words as far as I'm concerned. And here it says, Therefore the showers or the blessings have been withholden. Let me say it this way. What is true of us objectively has always been true about us. But to experience it subjectively, 
where we walk in it and it really becomes a part of our life and we're walking in the health we're walking in the whatever it is in our life we are experiencing the blessing of what has always been true about us they can be withholden not by god not by the father they can be withholden by us by not walking in what we're talking about now again this is not talking about do do a bunch of do doing a bunch of doing in the energy of the flesh this is who we are see we are the christ mind we are the consciousness of the father the number nine which is the the number for consciousness is also the number for man you see so we are the only thing that we are doing is just allowing that awareness to come over to the left side to our individual awareness and our individual consciousness and then we'll begin to subjectively experience and these things will not be withheld from us but i want to make it clear it's not the father that withholds those things from us it would be our own awareness you see a lot of things get blamed on god that he has nothing to do with absolutely you know there are some consequences you know for not living from the inside out there are some consequences that we we experience but now look what it says in Jeremiah 3, 3, Therefore the showers or the blessings have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain. Then it tells us why. And thou hast a horse forehead. A horse forehead. Hang on. Thou refusest to be ashamed. So what is that talking about? It's talking about us rather than intercoursing from the right side and bringing that sperma that seed to the left side of individual consciousness it's talking about us sleeping with every false idea and thought in town that's a whore's forehead see something has gotten into our thinking into our consciousness that is constituted here as a whore's forehead and so therefore what happens is the blessing that we already are that we already have that we came here with is withholding from us and we're not experiencing it or we're not walking in it currently walking in it subjectively walking in it and experiencing you know i say this a lot of times what good is it for us to know who he is as us what good is it for us to know that he's the health of my body as me and he's the wealth of my being as me and he is all in all as me what good is it to know that if we're never going to experience it and walk in it right what good you know and, and and all of this see and what that does is that brings us into this left side of just we know it intellectually mm -hmm. see this truth has got to be caught it can't just be taught it's got to be caught by spirit within us and once we catch this by spirit within us once spirit in us catches it oh we're gonna go we're gonna fly <laughs> we're gonna experience this we're gonna walk in this and as Romans 8 says, the groaning creation is on tiptoe to see a people that are really experiencing this fruit that remains. Mm -hmm. Rather than getting healed and then the next day you're sick as a dog or, you know, you, you get a financial blessing and then you got to scrape for every penny to pay your bills for that month. Listen, there is a people that are coming into this dimension that we're talking about that are not just going to experience fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow, but fruit that remains. But we're beginning to experience the fruit that remains. And that's the difference between what we have been taught through the religious circles and what is coming forth in this hour. So the whore's forehead, that means that you're sleeping, embracing every false idea from the left side. Whatever the five senses dictate to you, well, I'm going to go with that. Doctor says I have three months to live. Well, I'll be here for three more months. I better get my house in order, my will written. And three months, I'm out of here. Right? That's a horse forehead. That's a horse forehead. Or believing everything that religion told us. I came here with a Adamic identity and a sinful nature, and I've got to accept Jesus as my Savior so I can get into the divine nature and get rid of this identity of Adam. All of those were lies from the left side that we were taught, and that's the horse forehead. It's religiosity. Now, let's go back to Revelation 14 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 14. Now, we see in different places in the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but in Revelation chapter 9, it talks about, or 11, excuse me, Revelation 11, it talks about two witnesses. And it talks about the fact that John was handed a reed, and he was told to rise and measure the temple, leave out the outer court, it says, 
but measure the temple. And then it talks about two witnesses, and it says that they prophesy 1,260 days. Add one, two, six, and zero together, and you get nine. So these two witnesses are a people that have a consciousness. Nine is the number of consciousness. They have a consciousness, you see, of being a true witness. Now, what is a true witness? If there was an accident out here in the street and uh, I saw it happen, I would be a true witness. If I came here and told you how it happened, you would know about it to some degree, but you would not be a true witness. So a true witness is one that has first-hand report and experience. They saw the accident. They know exactly what happened. They could go into a court of law, and they could vie for the person and so forth. And so what is it saying there in Revelation chapter 11? These two witnesses who had a first-hand report and experience, they were a true witness, and it says they prophesied 1,260 days. In other words, they had the consciousness of knowing him, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. And then we could read, and we're going to teach on all this later, we could read in Revelation chapter 12 about the woman, the sun-clothed woman. It says the moon was under her feet. What does the moon point to there? The emotions. Her emotions were not acting in and of themselves, but they were subject to spirit, under control of the spirit. But it says that she was enclosed in the sun. She's called the sun-clothed woman there in Revelation 12. The moon, her emotions are subject to spirit, and she births the man-child, or she births Christ. She births Christ. And then it says that she goes into the wilderness, and she is taught there, 1,260 days, again, what is happening there? She is coming into a greater consciousness. You know, she birthed a man-child, but it wasn't something that was a consistent thing or it wasn't truth that remained. So she goes into this wilderness, and there she is taught 1,260 days, meaning consciousness, the number nine. So she's getting her consciousness even after birthing the man-child. So obviously there was some going back and forth there. And you know what? We've all done that. We've birthed the nature of Christ. There are some people that have birthed the love, joy, peace, and the nature of Christ and didn't even know any of this stuff that I'm teaching. But here's the key. It was not consistent. It was here today and gone tomorrow. I'm talking about something that is consistent. So obviously, this woman in Revelation chapter 12 that birthed the man-child, she still needed to have her consciousness raised even higher to have that birthing of the nature of Christ be something that was consistent within her life. That's the way I see that right now. Used to not see it that way. But that's, there has to be something obviously there that she goes into the wilderness and she's fed 1,260 days. In other words, it raised her consciousness even more. So we can see these numbers all the way through the Word of God. We can see where it talks about the image and the mark of the beast. It's 666 in the forehead. And what is that? 6 plus 6 plus 6 is 18. 1 plus 8 is 9. So it's talking about the consciousness of the beastly, the beast consciousness, the lower thoughts, in other words. Then we've already mentioned it talks in uh, chapter 14 of a group of people, 144,000 that are singing a new song. 1 plus 4 plus 4 is 9. And the three zeros on the end represent infinity, eternality. So these that are singing this new song in Revelation chapter 14 are a people that have the consciousness of these truths. And you see, when we get these things, when we get these, these seeds here from the right side sown into the left side, we emerge with a higher consciousness. We emerge with the thoughts of Christ. We, we have put on the mind of Christ, in other words. And so that changes the whole paradigm of our thinking and the Every aspect, the trajectory of our life, everything is changed once we live from the inside out over here on the right side. Now, back in Revelation 14 and verse 9, let me read this, and I've already talked about this, but in Revelation 14, 9, it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. And then also in Revelation 13, verses 16 and 18, it talks about the same thing, basically talking about the same thing. What is it talking about? I believe that when we read in the Old Testament and we see how that they offered the, 
you know, the blood of bulls and goats and so forth. I believe, see, because God never wanted any of that. In fact, he said in Jeremiah, I never spoke to the forefathers, you know, about offering, you know, the blood of bulls and goats and so forth. So when we read those things, what are they talking to us about? When we read about them, you know, slaying the bull, when we read about the different, you know, animal sacrifices that they had to bring to get their sins, you know, forgiven and covered, you know, for, for another year. What is all that talking about? It's simply talking about the mark and the image of the beast is simply us thinking with the lower thoughts. And every time we read in the Old Testament about sacrificial offering, the killing of an animal, what is it talking about? It's talking about us sacrificing the beastly thoughts. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about us sacrificing the beastly thoughts. Remember when David was very repentant for his sin with Bathsheba and killing of her husband? He came to the Lord and he said, Lord, I know you don't want to sacrifice. You don't want me to kill an animal. What you want is a contrite heart. That's what you want. See, and that's what, that's what New Testament, New Covenant obedience is today. It's not about fasting from food. It's not about, you know, giving a tithe in monetary sense. It's not about us doing something to try to get right with the Father. What is obedience in the New Testament? It's simply living from the right side. It's hearing. It's seeing by the Spirit. That's all New Testament or New Covenant obedience is. Old Testament, it was to Moses, it was doing certain things to try to appease God or try to get right with God. It was all about works. But now in the New Covenant, it's all about hearing. It's all about seeing. It's about living from the right side. So we see a lot of numbers there. So let's go back here and let's read in Revelation chapter 22 as I close this up tonight where we begin. And let me say a few other things as we read here in Revelation 22 and verse 4. Look what it says here. And they shall see his face and his name, or remember what we said, name means way to the ancients, and his way shall be in their foreheads. In other words, we have the consciousness of his way. See, we're not just trying to get something. We're not just praying using some magical formula to get what we want from the Father by saying in the name of Jesus. No, what we are doing is we are conscious of the way and what is the way. See, as I said before, Jesus never wanted us to worship him. Jesus, the man of Galilee, the son of man, never wanted us to worship him. He simply wanted us to follow him by doing what he said. And what did he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of that that's in you in the invisible realm will manifest visibly. Take no thought from the left side. Take no anxious thought. Live from the inside out. That's what he said to do. And that will constitute, that will cause us to be able to experience that which we have always been. And it's so simple. There's nothing hard to this. This is not complex. You know, when people haven't heard it before, it seems a little complex at the beginning. But once they hear it over and over, once they hear it long enough, it becomes simple. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. It's very simple. It's just simply realizing. It's living like Jesus lived when he was upon the face of the earth. He didn't do anything but what he saw the Father do. He didn't say anything but what he heard the Father say. How so? Because he spent that time in spontaneous and purposeful meditation. There were times when he would come up to a person that was maybe blind or deaf. Don't you know that he stopped? He had to stop for a few seconds and draw from the inside. Because he didn't do anything but what he heard Father within say. He didn't say anything, but what, you know, he didn't do anything or say anything but what he saw and heard the Father say. So he had to involve himself in some spontaneous meditation. And that's the same way with us. When something looms up before us, we need to stop so we don't react and give more power to whatever that thing is so that we'll react by what? By the Christ mind. See? And it's so simple. Now, Look what it goes on to say here in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. And of course, this verse of scripture here in verse 5 has been taught. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard people use this verse 5 to teach a physical heaven that people are going to go to when they die. Now, don't misunderstand. I believe when people physically, you know, pass away or they die physically, spirit goes back to God and all that sort of a thing. 
But people have used this verse, I've heard it many times, to preach a literal <laughs> physical heaven where there are streets of gold. And you won't find that. In fact, it does talk about a street of gold, not streets. It's talking about what? A divine walk. It's talking about a divine walk. I'll guarantee you, if you know, if, if heaven was a physical place and Christians got up there, they'd be fighting over who gets to sell the street of gold. <laughs> I mean, there'd be all kind of stuff going on, but it's not a physical place. It's not a physical place. Now, look what it says here in Revelation 22 and verse 5. It says, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, we saw the place where the Lord comes from that light in the tribe of Judah on the right side. Because Judah represents what? A people of light. It's the tribe of light. And I associated that with the speed of light, 186,400, which is the constant speed of light. I associated that with the number of people that were in the tribe of Judah. See, So the tribe of Judah or that was on the west side, west means the light or the dawning of the new day. As I said, when you look north, where's the east? It's to your right. You see, And Judah was that tribe. And Judah represents the special tribe unto God. But look what it says here. Let me read this again in closing. It says there's no light. This is signifying that there's nothing in the physical plane or the physical realm that you need in your life to experience what we're talking about. No night, no candle, no sun. So it can't be a physical place. And so what is it referring to? Look at the last part of verse 5. For the Lord God giveth them light. Now, what does that mean? The Lord God giveth them light. It's talking about if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. It's talking about drawing from this right side. See? And what is the light? Well, it's the wisdom. It's the knowledge. It's the understanding and when you are in meditation, whether it be spontaneous or purposeful meditation, what's going to happen is the light from the inside is going to be raised up. The understanding from the inside is going to be raised up. And you're going to experience that light. It's going to be raised up in understanding, in wisdom, in knowledge. And it's going to eventually be raised up so much that it's going to flow within every cell of our physical body. And you're going to experience the land flowing with milk and honey. So in other words, what verse 5 is saying there is just simply, if we want to experience what we're talking about, it's not going to be dependent on, as it, as it says there, a candle, a physical candle. It's not going to be dependent upon a, a sun out in, in the earth shining down. There's not even going to be any night there. What is that talking about? No ignorance. No misunderstanding. That's what it's talking about. As we draw from this right side, you see, there's not going to be anything of the physical that we're going to be trusting in. See, when you live from the left side, that's when you're trusting in a candle or that's when you're trusting in a sun and what they represent. That's when you're, you know, you're in ignorance, you know, with nighttime and nighttime experience of your life. But when we're drawing out of the right side, out of the east, the dawning of the new day, and listen, how can we disengage the thoughts from the left side? There's only one way. That's trick the left side. Remember when we talked about Jacob way back in the beginning of the series, I shared with you how that you can trick the left side from thinking those lower thoughts. And how do we do that? Just jump over to the right through meditation. Just stop and hush, put the shut to the up for a while, and just begin to turn within. And just spontaneously, just for a few seconds, just stop. Don't be in such a hurry doing what you're doing in life. But just turn within momentarily throughout the day, and you'll find that you will be exercising the single eye. Things that loom up before you won't be as big as when you're thinking the lower thoughts, thinking from the lower realm. Things won't seem as big. They won't seem as 
momentous to you? You know, you've heard the saying, oh, you just, you're making a, a mountain out of a molehill. You won't make a mountain out of a molehill. You ever hear someone say that? Oh, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill. You're making something that's a little really big in your mind, you see. And we can blow things up when we're living from the left side. We can really blow stuff up. Everything is big, and we get all whacked out, and we get all jacked up over it. We get all bent out of shape, and we get on the horn, and we call people, oh, pray for me. I'm having this situation or this problem with the other person. And we, get, we go crazy, right? Rather than just stopping and entering in within, involving ourselves into some spontaneous meditation. See, Jesus did that. As I said, when he'd come up to a blind person or a sick person or a deaf person, I know he stopped. And he turned within because he didn't do anything or say anything but what he saw the Father do and say. And so that's what we need to do is just stop it and, and turn within. And it just takes a few seconds. See, we're so involved in got to have it now. Got to experience it now. Well, we have it all now. We just don't experience it all now. But with these truths, we're beginning to. We're beginning to live from the inside out. We're beginning to put on. How many times did Paul the Apostle say, put on the mind of Christ? Put on means what? Slip in. Slip into like you slip into a garment. Where? Over here on the left side. Bring the consciousness of God, the mind of Christ, the thoughts of the Father over to the individual consciousness. That's what it means to put on the mind of Christ. See, where are we going to put the mind of Christ on? If the scripture says put on the mind of Christ, where do I put it on at? Well, it has to be over here on the left side. It has to be on our individual awareness, our individual consciousness. So in looking at all of those scriptures that had things that were measured in cubits, and some of the scriptures in the New Testament that give numbers that tally out to be nine or consciousness, what we can see is the importance of sowing the seed. And that's why Jesus taught the parable of the sower sowing the seed. See, and I said this Sunday at our little mini-conference, I said, you know, the Bible to me is a spiritual book. It's parabolic. It's symbolic. It's allegorical. And yet we have taken, and I've been involved in this to a degree many years ago, been in ministry now 40 years, and I remember at the beginning you know, saying some things, trying to make some scriptures apply, like, for example, in the book of Revelation or Matthew 22 or Daniel and Ezekiel. Try to, uh, apply. you know, you can make the Bible say anything you want to just say. And if I want to read a history book, I'm going to go to the library. I don't think our Bible is a history book. Now, you can go to the library or a bookstore and you can get a book about the history of the Bible and it'll give you all of these historical facts. It'll give you how Titus and the Roman soldiers went into Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem and, and got rid of the temple and all the artifacts that they used for their sacrificial offerings and so forth. But you know what? I'm beginning to realize more and more the Bible was not given for us to apply those things. The Bible is a spiritual book. So I want to go in this series to Matthew 22, or 4, excuse me, Matthew 24. I want to get into Revelation and teach some things in Revelation. Now, I never did teach Revelation according to what's going to happen in the future or what has happened in the past in 70 AD. I never did teach it that way because I never really believed Revelation was for that. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's a spiritual book. It is a symbolic book. Matthew chapter 24 that they use for that 70 AD destruction. I believe it has allegorical meaning to us today. Oh yeah. It's a spiritual book, folks. And I'm finding more and more that I am loving the Bible more than I've ever loved it before. Because I'm seeing the allegorical, parabolic, spiritual, symbolic reality that everything from Genesis to Revelation is happening within us. Happening within us. Now, I don't, you know, I'll probably get some people mad by making that statement, but you know, people that believe in preterism, they believe that the whole book of Revelation was fulfilled back in 70 AD. Well, I have news for you. You can make it say anything you want it to say. 
And I'm not saying they don't have some of the facts right if you're going to look at it in a literal sense, because certainly they do. But again, I believe that the Bible is a spiritual book. And I believe everything that has happened, and I'm not saying there aren't some things that, you know, didn't happen literally, because certainly there are. But what I'm beginning to see is no matter what it is in history that happened that is recorded, especially in the Old Testament, it is happening within you and I today. It's happening in us. And I believe that the sooner we can see that, the greater experience we're going to have in all of this that we're teaching. Amen. So, again, what we've taught in our mini-conference, what we taught on Sunday afternoon, uh, or what I taught, Candy brought some of those things out as well, but what, what I taught on Sunday afternoon and then on Monday morning was to show the importance of getting the seed from the consciousness of God on the right side into the individual consciousness and awareness on the right side. When you can look at things that are measured in cubits and do the math and come up with number nine, which is consciousness, the numerical value of consciousness, you see it from cover to cover, the cubits that are used and how it represents consciousness and awareness. And as Jesus said, if you're going to have fruit, if you're going to bear fruit at all, you've got to sow the seed into the ground. And the ground, he said, was the heart. The heart slash awareness slash consciousness. Now, I know heart can be applied to spirit. In some places, it is applied to spirit in the Word of God. But more times than not, it's applied to the heart awareness or the heart consciousness. And once that seed has been sown, and I'm just using this as, you know, pictures. Some people learn easier with visual aids than they do just, you know, getting up and talking. I'm just using the right hemisphere symbolically because I know the brain and the mind are not the same thing. We have the mind of Christ, see. And we bring the mind of Christ, we put it on where? In our brain, in our awareness, you see. But there is a difference. So we just use the right hemisphere just symbolic of the Christ mind and the left hemisphere just symbolic of the fact that some thoughts from the five sense realm can show up here on the left side. Actually, the left side, as I said, was given of God. And I call the left side, since God gave it, I call it the virgin consciousness. I believe that there's a part in the left side that has never been touched by man whatsoever. And I call that the virgin consciousness. And when we sow the seed, the sperma, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, when the seed of the husband comes into the virgin consciousness and connects with some fertile eggs in there, what's going to happen? There's going to be a conception. And when there's a conception, we know what's going to take place. There's going to be a birthing. Just like a woman receives the seed of the husband. Some fertile eggs then begin to connect with that sperm. And they birth life. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. That's exactly what's happening in the spiritual realm today. And there's a people all over this planet that are beginning to realize that who they have always been objectively can be experienced subjectively if they'll get that right side to swallow up all the lower thoughts on the left side. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our spirit that ever quickens these truths within our heart, within our awareness, that we might birth fully and completely the nature that we came here with, the nature of Christ. We thank you for this people. Thank you for your love and your grace and for your word that's just exploding within our hearts and within our lives. Thank you, Father, for the ability to birth, for the ability to bear fruit that remains rather than fruit that's here one day and gone the next. We thank you. We bless you. We honor you. In the name of the Lord, amen and amen.
could not hear the truth. His love has come to us. His love has awakened you. It's his love that will never, never end. For it's love with no time. And love, there's no end. His love. Unconditional 